what's missing now is you're not asking them for money. Like there's a point where we have to ask people to commit or we have to ask people, do you want this? And so what I love about this profession, what keeps me from getting bored in it is that I never can get it right. And I'm always just learning how to be more masterful in the art of it, which is so cool and entirely frustrating. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Coaching Life podcast, where we peel back the bullcrap and brush away any photoshopping to give you an unfiltered look at what it's like to live a coaching life. I met today's guest at a coaching event in LA late 2014. We've both had a lot going on since then, I think. Um, but he's someone I've seen around in coaching communities on Facebook and what have you, but... But for my own personal reasons, nothing about him at all, actually, as it, as it turns out. But for my own reasons, I had pretty much deliberately avoided connecting with him. But here's the thing. A mutual friend suggested he'd make a great guest for this podcast. And having finally connected with him and been chatting with him, whatever, I, I actually agree. So no pressure. He <laughs> is someone who is very, very passionate, just like me, very passionate about this profession and very open um, about his own life and his own way of being. And he's also a very entertaining linguistic chef, I'm going to call him. So, um, yes, very welcome. Hello to Adam Quiney. Hello. Hello, Phil. Hello. Um, so thank you. Thank you for joining us. Um, can you give us a little bit of your backstory? Actually, I always ask my guests this. How did you get into this beautiful profession of coaching? Yes. Um, so uh, I'll, I'll tell the story and you interrupt me if there's any questions sure. or if you're like, boy, you are going on. Uh, <laughs> it's always risky when I talk about my favorite subject, Adam Quiney. <laughs> So I was originally, uh, my first degree was in software. I was a project manager at the time, and I was bored to tears. I had controlled my world around me, and I was coming into work, working for about three hours, and then spending five hours fucking off, which for me looked like finding a way to get stoned and to then, um, <laughs> I'm very type A kind of personality, so fucking off as I'd get stoned to feel something and then I'd work on a whole bunch of side projects. So I'd have a blog working and you know, all this other stuff. I left that to pursue law thinking, well, I must, the problem is my external circumstances. So I just need to change those. <laughs> <laughs> I went back to school for law and I found myself about two years into a three year degree. Once again, feeling pretty bored, working harder than before, but consequently also kind of feeling more bored and wondering what I was going to do next because I was pretty clear I didn't want to be an attorney for my career. And at that point, I, while looking for other careers, I met a coach who was a former lawyer. And it was kind of the first time I could, I, I, was, I was and still can be very arrogant. And so it's hard for me to even let the notion of a profession like coaching in. You know, I, my attitude was sort of, I've got it all figured out over here. And there's no support I need, but let's support you, you broken mess of a human being. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, by the grace of God, I was able to let this one person into a conversation with me. And we started talking and 
I had this experience, I think a lot of us have, which was, holy crap, that's a job. Like, do people know that you can get paid money to do this thing? Do I have to keep this secret so they don't all rush into it? And um, as you and I were talking earlier, I started to work with him. I started to take the training he'd taken and it was all fine and good, but it was a lot of um, solving the problems that our mind state or ego or whatever, like our solving the problems we have in our life inside of the same system that created those problems. So it's like we're, you know, rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic Mm -hmm. as it's sinking. Yeah. Um, And so it, I got to this point where I was, um, I had about six months left in law school. I had some clients, much to my delight. I was amazed that anyone would even want to work with me, frankly. Some of them were paying me a small amount of money, you know, maybe $20 or $100 a month. And um, it was all fine and good, but it also felt like I was kind of a personal project manager for their lives. Um, so I would ask the questions, you know, that would be the right question, like, what do you want to do? And what's in the way? And what do we need to move that out of the way? But it felt like I could write a computer program to ask these sort of questions. And it felt boring, once again, which was really concerning for me because this was meant to be the thing that solved the boredom. And if I'm really honest, I couldn't see this at the time, but what I was really trying to do is change people to be more like me. So I was like, let me coach you to fix your broken life to be more like my life, which is all sorted out and and shiny and clean. And I love that you see it that way. I love that. <laughs> because of course I can relate to that. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and and you know, I really, I really I was like, if you had asked me if that was bullshit back then, I wouldn't have said it was. I earnestly believed I had it figured out in part because I'd hidden this stuff from myself, you know, so well. I couldn't see my own stuff. Anyhow, more on that in a bit. So I, um, I eventually found a woman who kind of, I love the way you introduced me, actually. She was someone who I knew was a coach. She'd played at the squash club I played at for many years. And I'd always avoided her because she was kind of quiet and weird and a little off-putting to me. And I didn't really know what to do with her. And when I'm confronted and scared of people like that, it's easier for me just to ignore them altogether. Mm-hmm. And, uh, But my mom, of all people, sent me this email saying, hey, did you know that Hallie is the president of your local coaching chapter? Maybe you should talk to her. So we reached out, or I reached out rather. We got together for coffee, and she said things that made not a lot of sense to me. Like she'd say things like, well, Adam, our work is ontological, this training program that I think you would really love. And that means we shift the foundations upon which people's beliefs rest. And I did what I do when I'm scared of looking stupid, which is say things like, well, of course, you're going to shift the foundations upon which their beliefs rest. Forget about it. (laughs) And then secretly inside being like, oh, crap. I don't know what she's talking about. I'm so in the dark. Um, So I left that meeting. I'll, I'll say a little bit more about it, actually. She told me, look, this work is really deep and really transformational, and that means it's confronting. And the confrontation requires a big commitment. It's a year of your life, $20,000 US up front. You're going to travel for an entire weekend every month down to Seattle, which is about a day's trip for me there and back. The whole premise of this work is if you want to create a powerful coach, you got to coach them powerfully. And that means confront them with everything they're unwilling to face in their life, unable to see. 
drive their shit up and coach them through the breakdown, the breakdown that creates to the breakthrough on the other side. And as I was telling you, I had no idea what any of that meant. I was like, yeah, whatever, sure. (laughs) (laughs) I can handle this the same way I handle everything in my life. I'll be perfect. So I had a lot of fear around that and it took a lot to get myself enrolled and over the hump of that and then to enroll my wife in being a yes to me doing that because at this point, was this weird wacky fad Adam was going through and pretty soon he'd get over himself and we'd be back on the correct path of life. <laughs> and uh, I went down for the first the first weekend and I was immediately present to how weird all these people were. They made a lot of eye contact, they smiled, they shook my hand. Um, they did all of the things I did when I was trying to get something from someone or when I was trying to put on a nice front. Mm. And I was projecting that stuff onto them and being like, what are these people trying to get out of me? Boy, knock it off. And they started the day, they said, we're gonna introduce you guys to the front of the room in kind of a unique way. We're gonna point to your highest and greatest self. And we're gonna point to the stuff that you put in the way of that. The stuff you do to stay seen or hidden, to protect you from us or us from you. And I remember thinking, well, cool. What are you going to show me though? Like I was more just intrigued, you know, what is there left to reflect to Adam Quiney? He's, <laughs> he's been reading personal development books all his life. I watch Tony Robbins. I've got a coach. I work with people and, um, and the story will wind down shortly. But what they said was, Adam, you're very much at, I'll preface this a little bit. They had me talk for but three minutes. They just said, what do you want us to know about you? And I talked for three minutes and then I stopped and they said, okay, can we work with you? I said, sure. They said, great, here's the deal. The package looks great. You're charming, handsome, witty, well-dressed, well-educated. I I think I keep adding to this list, but I'm all right with that. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure you've thrown a couple in there since we last spoke about it. (laughs) Amazing hair, you cook great soup. Um, Package looks great. And you're a lot like a brand new iPhone where we want to play with you and it's entertaining and novel what we do, but then we sit you down and have a beer with our friends because we can relate with those people. And Adam, you're like a perfect shiny suit of armor. There's absolutely no way in. You have no capacity for authenticity, no ability for vulnerability, zero capacity for intimacy, which hit me like a train to the face because intimacy has always been my struggle. Um, I was sharing with you earlier, it's always been my struggle in relationships and yes that does relate to sex but not only sex Mm -hmm. it's across the board there's always been a a chasm of intimacy between me and my partners and frankly between me and my friends and my family so there's two other things they say one is they say adam this is an amazing set of skills for a lawyer if you think about it scan yourself for flaws you can address them before anyone else Scan other people for flaws. You can punch them there when they become threatening or scary. Use your wit and your intellect to manipulate the conversation so it never even has the hint of going somewhere scary or vulnerable and let people think that they're getting in with you while you actually keep them out at arm's length. Mm. Incredible lawyer skills. Utter shit skills for a relationship. (laughs) And if you really want to do this work, this is work about creating really deep, powerful relationship with people. If you want to impact people the way you say you do, you have to be able and willing to let them impact you that way. The last thing they say to me is, um, you can leave here today. You don't have to stay for the whole year. We hope you do, but it's okay if you do, if you don't. And um, you'll still be a leader. 
the set of traits that you have, leadership is a natural fit for you. We look to you to assume that role and you look to step into that role. However, you will forever be a leader of followers because those are the people around which you feel comfortable being fully seen and letting in and showing up fully expressed because they're not gonna challenge you. And if you're willing to do the work to unlock this from within, and look, it has to be from within because you're way too slick. You've got like 50 years of coaching experience at the front of this room, a whole team of people doing the same work you are, a coach you'll talk to every week and you're still too good. You can let us think we're getting in and making a difference and slide us out the back door. If you're willing to do the work and unlock this from within, you're on this planet to be a leader of leaders. And so <laughs> I don't know what happens the rest of the weekend. Who cares, right? right At this point, right. that's yeah. 20K flat out. And I do know, um, one, I drive from Seattle back up to Vancouver where I'm staying that night. So it's about a three and a half hour drive. And I cry for about three and a half hours. Yeah. And it's not tears of sadness. It's tears of just, um, I'm just open. And I've been opened in a way I've not felt all my life. All of my filters, all the stuff I put in place to block people is open in this moment. And of course, they shut pretty fucking quick, right? Mm. They didn't stay open. That was the work. But like in that moment, I was present to what was possible if I stayed in this work. And I suddenly realized, oh, my job is not to change people to be more like me. My job is to help people be more like themselves. And before I can do that, I got to learn how to be more like myself, yeah, beautiful. And, and, you know, it's really, I find it continuously fascinating, these little things that, well, it's not little, actually, it's quite a big thing there that you're you're talking about in that, I mean, I'm sure many, many people listening to this will relate to that, uh, to varying degrees, of course, but I think yeah. we'll all relate to that. How we do feel we need to hide ourselves and be slick, perhaps. Um, very, very slick. Some people. I mean, I, I know coaches out there now. We could, we won't name them, but I mean, I think we we could we could think of some coaches out there that that still a, at least appear to have that going on, where you sense, yeah, I'm not exactly what these guys were pointing out to you that, that they weren't feeling connected to that the inner you, and yet, so so we're hiding that because of our insecurity, and yet when we do open up and it's seen, and so we're seen. It's like the most beautiful, intimate experience we can have. So yes. we're hiding something that we want to be seen. I mean, how fucked up are we? <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. You know, the thing I'm present to is, as you share that, I, I hate that I have the propensity to be slick. Like, I really want to let people in. And yet, I also, I think part of my... My dharma, if you like, like my life's work is to make friends with that part of me too. Right. So that I'm not trying to lobotomize it right. because as soon as I make it wrong for me to be in that slick, well put together place, oh, yeah. now it becomes more of a blind spot because I can't own it when it is happening. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, um, like I said, I don't know you very well, Adam, but one thing I get about you is I don't think you take yourself particularly seriously. So I, I would guess that that, that um, maybe that has changed. Has it, has it, has it changed? Um, yeah, I think like, so part of the innate being of Adam, I would say is like wit and play. Yeah. And I think like a lot of people that have that, I can get super serious in those places where I've learned, oh, wit and play doesn't have a place here. 
you know, when the stakes rise up, I get really somber and, and not that much fun to be around. It's kind of funny, like often when I'm looking for like, who is this person truly? If they're really flat and somber, I'm like, I bet there's a playfulness about them that's just unexpressed. And so I have like done a lot of work to kind of learn to make friends with embarrassment and with my bad jokes falling flat and stuff. And it's still a challenge. (laughs) Which reminds me of something, um, you know, one of my mentors has said, Michael Neal, and and, and I've repeated this as well because it's absolutely true for me. I've spoken this because it is true for me. Um, And in fact, somebody had pointed out to me, hey, Phil, I got the response from Michael Neal, but somebody has pointed out to me, hey, Phil, I really love that you don't seem to really care what people think about you. Oh, no, 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 no. That mm. is not true. I do <laughs> care what people think. Of course I do. I'm, I'm almost obsessed with that. And yet, yes. I don't take the fact that I care about what people think about me. I don't take that particularly seriously. Aha, uh-huh, beautifully put. Yeah, it's like, it's like I think people have this belief that as we play, as we rise up and play bigger and bigger games, our fear diminishes. Mm-hmm. My experience is that my fear increases because mm-hmm. I've raised the stakes and I'm playing a bigger game. It's just that my relationship to that fear shifts. So it becomes yes. less significant. I'm like, oh, you're back, motherfucker. Good to see you. <laughs> I've been writing a book for many years. I have registered the domain called The Irrelevance of Fear because I just just see that, that fear just becomes more and more irrelevant. Hey, so there's something I wanted to ask you. Right at the beginning there, you were, you were describing that um, coaching journey in that first program as, you know, you, you were describing going through to the bottom and having to break through mm-hmm. and recover from that. Do you still see coaching in that way? Yeah. So there's a challenge because whenever you use a word like breakdown, we've got so much baggage attached to that word. Like it means these significant things. And so I actually appreciate you asking that question because it it clues me in like, hold on, not everyone uses that word the way you do, Adam. So by breakdown, what I mean is like that which previously worked stops working. Mm -hmm. So if I want to build a mansion on the property in which I currently live in my condo, I'm going to have to knock the walls of my condo down. And that's going to create a breakdown in my life because I rely on those condo walls to keep me warm at night, to keep people out of my property. And so really what I mean by breakdown is like, oh, the old pattern's not working and I haven't yet created what's new. And in that place, it's like, oh my God, my well-being's out or oh my God, people hate me or oh my God, whatever the fear is that has been holding me in check is suddenly being realized. Yeah, that's what I mean by it. And so in that capacity, I do still relate to coaching through that lens. Mm. Yeah, I love that. I love that. So can you tell us a little bit more about that transition then from being at law school going um, and, and practicing law and building a coaching practice? Um, mm. What was that like trying to get a coaching practice going? So let's see. <clears throat> There's a few things immediately in the way. And the first one was probably my own relationship to coaching. Like on one level, I really felt like this is the thing. And it is so I can feel viscerally like this is what I'm on this planet to do. And then everything my head was saying was coaching's bullshit. Coaching's woo woo. Law is the gold standard aside from medicine that your child made it right. Like, well done. (laughs) Your son is a lawyer. You did good. Um, So I had like all of this stuff that 
And then I would project it onto other people. So I'd say things like, well, I don't feel this way, but I think other people feel that coaching is blah, 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 blah. And as long as that was in my space, I was kind of speaking from that place, right? So I'd speak apologetically about being a coach, right? Mm. I'd go up to someone and be like, they'd say, what do you do at a mixer? And I'd go like, uh, how would I word it? It'd be something like, uh, uh, I'm a coach, but also a lawyer. And I used to be a <laughs> software developer and, you know, like just wacky and weak and not powerful mm. about it, not owning it. So that was the first thing to overcome. And um, that was kind of in my being, you know, that was like ontologically or in terms of who I showed up as. In terms of the doing, um, it was insane. So I was really committed. I had a year of what's called articling in Canada, which is kind of like an apprenticeship. So you're a full-fledged lawyer, you have your own files and everything, but you have another lawyer that checks over your work to make sure you're not you know, I'm screwing anyone up. And so I knew at the end of that year, I don't think I want to continue practicing. I really want a coaching practice. I want to take off this runway. And so I was pretty, I'm pretty reliable to do the, the hard work. So I was asking a lot of people, I was inviting them probably not very powerfully into coaching conversations. And it probably felt a lot like people, you know, that guy that on the first date, like wants to just jump in your pants. Like that's probably how it felt for people where I was like, Hey, my name's Adam. Tell me about you. Oh, my name's Brett. Great. Brett, do you want to have a coaching conversation? <laughs> Brett's like, Whoa. So I, I asked a lot of people, I coached a lot of people and I remember I'd get up at six. I'd walk to the law office, which is about a half hour walk from where I lived. It was the only exercise I was getting was that walk. And so I held on to it rigidly I'd work till about five. I'd come home and quickly put food in my mouth and then I'd uh, coach for three hours and then I'd go to bed and get up and do the same thing over again. Where were those uh, clients coming from whilst you're, you know, here you have, you know, a full-time job. Where were yeah. those, where were those clients coming from, you know, at that stage of your transition? So initially I was, um, I asked pretty much everyone that I was in law school with. So the way it, it overlapped was I had six months in this real transformational program and six months left in law school. And then I graduated law school and started my articling and six months left before I graduated from the, the coach training I was in. So great place for it to sort of line up. Yeah. And so I asked everyone who's in law school with me uh, over Facebook because in-person was way too vulnerable. The rejection <laughs> was much too scary. But I'd send them a Facebook message and be like, hey, I heard you're doing this. I'm wondering if you're interested in a coaching conversation. Um, and some of them would say yes. And we would have like a pretty rickety conversation because I was really new and had a lot of my own agenda and was frankly probably pretty shitty when it came to the hiring conversation. Like there was probably some pressure on me. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I talked to a lot of my friends, like I wouldn't recommend a coach does this, but I also wouldn't recommend you put your hand on a hot stove. And yet sometimes we just got to put our hand on a hot stove. Right. <laughs> and so, um, some of them were my friends who so I was like, yeah. Hey, do you want to have a coaching conversation? At the end I would ask, you know, the one thing I was committed to doing was asking the questions. So like, do you want to have a coaching conversation? Are you interested in more of this? This is what it costs. Do you want that? 
Mm. So we've both um, been impacted very much so by the book The Prosperous Coach by Rich Litvin and Steve Chandler, right? And I mean, like for me, I read that, um, I think around about May, June 2013, just changed everything, how I approached everything. Not just like my coaching business, just like that. that I just learned so much from that book. Um, when did you read it? What What changed? So it came to me because I read Wealth Warrior. Oh. May I share a story? It's a little, it's not too long. Yeah, it's go for it. Go for it. Lisa Peake, who um, is a woman who had tremendous impact on my life and probably isn't even aware of it. When I first ever thought maybe coaching, like on a whim, I looked up on Twitter for coaches, found her, called, like asked her for a phone call out of the blue and was like, tell me what you do. And she was in Steve Chandler's uh sphere, I guess. She took his ACS, his advanced client systems training. And as you know, that whole Steve is all about service, just serve people. And so at the end of this profound year I'd had with the group that was training me, Lisa sent me an email and just said, Hey, um, what's your mailing address? And I gave it to her, never heard anything from her again, but around Christmas time, wealth warrior, a book, Steve Chandler wrote, arrives at my place. And I'm like, huh, that's interesting. And I realized, oh, it's from Lisa. Wow, how cool is that? Um, I open Wealth Warrior and I don't put it down until it's finished. Like I crack it open and I'm just like, oh my God, this is kind of encapsulating everything I've spent yeah. this year integrating and learning. This is brilliant. And I'm craving writing like this because it's hard to find really deep, you know, it's easy to find books that give you advice. It's hard to find books that are actually transformational. That really touch you, particularly as Steve's Ooh. absolutely masterful at that, like the short chapters, direct to the point, but with a subtlety to it. You know, it's just oh, he's so masterful. brilliant. I masterful. hate him. <laughs> <laughs> so I, this is one thing I was doing back then, is I, anytime I read a book that really inspired me, um, I did this with Michael Neal, I did this with Rich, I did this with Steve. I wrote to Steve and I said, dude, your book is incredible. Could we hop on the phone? I would love to talk to you. And as you probably know from Steve, immediately I get about 24 different audio CDs in the mail. I get like all this stuff. We help. He's just incredible. Yeah, yeah. He at the time sends me, he says, here's a book I just finished writing. It's called Prosperous Coach. He sends it to me as a PDF. I don't even think it was published yet. And he says, um, I hope you enjoy it. And uh, I don't, it just sits there languishing until maybe six months or a year later, probably about six months. And I am looking for something to read on a flight down to San Diego. And I find the Prosperous Coach and I have the exact same experience where I'm just like, oh my God, <laughs> this is like, this is what I would call like an ontological approach to developing a coaching practice, meaning like it's about not just what you're doing, but who you're being as you're mm -hmm. doing it mm -hmm. changes everything. Or yeah. actually I would say for me, it was more like it broadened everything. Like it was already the path I was on, but it just, you can't hear this stuff enough. And both Rich and Steve in that book are so masterful in their writing. It's beautiful to read and it's so inspiring. It left me so lit up about this work. Absolutely, yeah, it had a very similar effect on me. And um, I think it's it's because not least of all because of this podcast. Obviously, I do I do chat to quite a lot of other uh, you know coaches and have lots of friends through all of the the training and whatever that I've done. And sometimes I think that book uh, it comes in for some criticism, but when it's read as a strategic book, um, uh, yes, which it's not. Um, and, and, you know, I, I, I kind of, I'm not sure about the whole 
doing versus being thing dooby dooby do is what kind of always comes to mind when i hear that but i i do get it it is really about you know where you're coming from rather than what you're trying to get um it's very much what i got from it was that whole thing about giving and serving absolutely and serving and and um i watched a, a video recently by a mutual friend of ours um jp morgan john p morgan mm. where he he because here's the other thing as well like you can read that but oh, okay i get it I, get, I just need to go out and serve people go out and serve people and then i'll get something back i.e a client will sign up and you know i'll get some right. money so well that's that in itself is whilst it's not explicitly said in the book but you need to go beyond that desire. Yes. I think Steve's always been very, very direct. Even when I went through school, is like, you need money, go get a job. Don't yes. don't be talking to clients because you need money. And um, I love I love J P Morgan's um, just step further into that. Like, if you, you sense that, yeah, you're looking to serve in order to get, then the step to take is to move to love as in let me just love this person because mm. love is unconditional so yeah. you sit in front of me i will talk to you like i love you unconditionally i'm not get, i'm not looking to get anything back from you i'm going to tell you what i see speak to you from my heart i there's no concept of rejection because there's not even me i started writing by the way a, a chapter for another book um called uh, as your coach, I won't be there for you, right? It's like, mm. I'm, I'm just not going to be there. It's like, there's no, there is no me. Yeah. I I love that. <laughs> and, and I think, like, as always, right, as soon as we take something that is, like, brilliant, like, like John's thing, like Steve's thing, and make it a rule, we're fucked. Yeah. Right? Because totally. it's always, you know, I see people, they... They relate to the prosperous coach or to serving or to loving someone as like the Bible. <laughs> and then it's like, oh, I'm doing everything I need to do. And it's like, yeah, except you're never like what what's missing now is you're not asking them for money. Like there's a point right. where we have to ask right. people to commit or we yes. have to ask people, do you want this? And so what I love about this profession, what keeps me from getting bored in it is that I never can get it right. And I'm always just learning how to be more masterful in the art of it, which is so cool and entirely frustrating. <laughs> so are there any like classic fuck-ups you'd be willing to share with us? There's about a billion of them. I'm not willing to share any of them. <laughs> um, let's see. So I could really push you here. Like, What's, what's that most embarrassing story you'd really rather us we didn't know? Because there's, um, there's only you and me listening anyway. So. That's right, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll share like the, the most, the one that drives up the most shame. And then I'll share um, like an embarrassing one that's kind of funny for me. Uh, so the, the one that drove up the most shame for me is like my, we all have demons. That's mm -hmm. the truth. One of mine is I have an addictive, ten I'm very passionate. And like a lot of people with passion from fear that tends toward obsession, compulsion, and addiction. And my flavor of addiction is really like adrenaline based. So I'm always like, this is great. But what if I was stoned and drunk and playing video games and stuffing my face full of marshmallows? <laughs> like it's never enough. Right. And so uh, quite a ways back, I, like 
most of the stuff we want to fix and have shame around. I was trying to solve this all on my own. I had a million different strategies. And um, over the last year, probably a year and a half, I've been doing a lot of 12-step work around this. And in doing so, and out of a conversation where my coach was bringing herself back into integrity, she shared with me, Adam, you know, she got on the phone and was like, hey, do you have a sec? Can we chat? Yesterday, I lied to you, Adam. And it's not something I've done before. And I'm a little upset about it. And I just want to come clean with you. And, you know, it was really about my stuff. I didn't want to, anyhow, it doesn't, the content doesn't matter so much, but just she shared that. And I was like, damn, beautiful. I'm so glad you're my coach. You're incredible. <laughs> yeah. Which then had me take a look like, well, where am I? You know, where am I out of integrity with my clients? And the place I could see was there was one client in particular where I'd been stoned on one of our calls. I was, my tendency is like, um, I get super inspired in this work and then I get super apathetic about it. And I wish I didn't, but it tends to be, I, I have waves like that. And when I get apathetic, it's usually because I'm not leaning into my fears. And rather than lean into my fears, it's easier to just reach for a joint or for a beer or for sugar or whatever. And so um, I carried a great deal of shame around with me on that piece. I still do, um, but I'm a lot more complete on it now. And the reason for that is I reached out to that person and I said, hey, uh, there's something I want to come clean about. I'm really sorry about this. There was this point where we had a call and I was stoned on it and I'm not proud of that, you know, and I want to make it right. And I, you know, I'm open to hear whatever you've got, whatever there is for me you tell me I'm here for you. Uh, you know, I just want you to be complete with that as well. Fortunately, that guy was amazing about it. He was incredible and, and, you know, said, you know, I didn't even know for all I know, it was just a slightly less powerful coaching call we had, or even a slightly more powerful yeah, coaching call. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. And, um, and so that's one of those places where it's an, like, that's not a fully, I believe the work I'm in really supports that. I've been doing a ton of work around that. It feels really great. But I know that that's part of the nature of my passion is that if I'm not on it and open and clear about my stuff, that shows up in my blind spots. But that's really beautiful, Adam, to, 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 to you know, be where you're at with that. To I just really want to just highlight this and that... Mm. Um, to be willing then, however painful, to share that with somebody and, and indeed to share that on this, um, given, you know, this whole slickness thing that we'd spoken about a little earlier in the conversation. Yeah. Amazing. Um, another embarrassing, <laughs> there's two that I won't share unless you want me to, and then I'll share the actual story. One, I told a guy at a networking event he was boring because I was practicing really stepping into my fear. That went exactly the way you might think it went. <laughs> I also have had a podcast host tell me that I'm a dick and then end the, uh, the possibility of doing that podcast together. So that didn't go too well. The, um, another embarrassing moment is like, to be really clear, I'm always in progress and process. I'm not... This is not a fully formed, you know, person. I'm right. always expressing more. And like everyone, when I start trying to express more parts, I'm clumsy and I have to learn to become more facile in it. So I had a client who they their strategy in life, if you like, like the, the winning strategy was to lean back, 
not make a decision, wait for a decision to be made for them, or, you know, kind of like they were bobbing in the river and they'd wait for stuff to come down to them and be like, oh, I like that. I'm not going to take that. I'm going to take that, which is great, except it's limited, just like every strategy, right? Because sometimes we got to swim upstream towards something that we really want if we're really committed to it. Naturally, he brought this same strategy into the coaching. So, hey, what do you want to work on today? I don't know, Adam. What do you think we should work on today? Right? Like, it's super predictable, super understanding, uh, understandable. And uh, hard for me because my, like, perfect client for me because my stuff is the opposite. Mine is, like, always go the hard way. Always run uphill both ways. Better work hard, Adam. Otherwise, you're worthless. So, one, it's triggering for me to be around this guy because I've got stuff and um, I'm doing my best to, to be with it. And I probably made it five months, brought it a lot to my coach. But there was a point where I was kind of at a lost cause. I was like, I don't know what to do with this guy. And I'm getting in. He was just getting me right. He's just being human. He's doing exactly what he should as a client. And I'm just being a human dude. And I get really frustrated. And at one point he says, um, I asked him like, well, what's going to make this conversation make a difference? He said, I don't know. And I'm like, what would, what would you really like from this conversation? And I was like, okay, I'm going to give him the anger, I guess I'll try that. And so I told him like, I think my words were something to the effect of like, what would make a difference for me is for you to be a fucking man and pull up your fucking pants and make a goddamn decision about what you want. And you know, that with that level of energy, right. And, uh, it was really confronting for both of us. Mm -hmm. And um, it, I don't think it had the impact it had because while there is a time and place to say, like to speak with that level of power, I wasn't doing it from love. I was doing it because I was pissed off at right. the way he was showing up. And if I could have done that with an open heart, I think it probably was exactly the thing to do. But who I was being as I did it was like, you're wrong fix your stupid self yeah. like this is infuriating to be with so yeah thank you thank you for sharing that so one thing that kind of interfaces as well to what we're talking about here um i guess is embellishment right so this podcast i've mentioned this on previous episodes you know that this podcast came about because um i i got pissed at the amount of embellishment that i was seeing and as i said to you you know before like seek and ye shall find right so i i i i started looking at the profession and realizing where there was embellishment and, and that was having a very negative impact on my business and you know this story of the the quote appearing outside the window here be the change you wish to see so i'm like okay let's let's create a podcast that just tells it like it is but i also reflect because like embellishment when I started out, I did not want people to know, well, I don't have any clients. I'm really struggling. Mm. But I also have realized as time and years has gone on that, I mean, you know, my business pretty much crashed last year. I hadn't given it the attention it required for about a year because I was in mm. a relationship that I was I was giving loads of attention that it actually didn't didn't really need and and <laughs> and everything crashed right and right. and and i started very openly talking about that and you know things recovered earlier on this year still a bit of a bumpy ride at times but i i kind of wonder like embellishment what i guess my question is what's your take on it what's your take on it so the first thing i'll say is like i i was raised by <clears throat> my parents loving parents 
dad was born in 43 in England. So like right after, like right as the war is ending. Right. And mom was born in Ontario, Canada, in a rural area by farmers. So very humble, both sides of the family, right? Like don't boast, don't brag, you know, just do your work was kind of like part of the attitude. And so that's a bit baked into me. And I say that because I then naturally have like, I know that if I take my hands off the steering wheel of Adam, like I will steer towards under uh, embellishing, I guess, right? Like I will play down who I am rather than play up. So for me, I actually think there's something to be said for the fact like I could stand to own my greatness a little more. And I've done a lot of work in this, so it's not as vast a chasm as it once was. But I think there are people like me where we're so anemic or allergic or whatever the right word is to like bragging. Like, don't brag, don't brag, don't brag, don't be that person. That there is something to be said for like actually fucking tell people who you are, you know, like brag a bit, put yourself out there. And then just like everything, there is no right way, right? So for other people, they've learned to deal with, maybe it's like the way they deal with the story of worthlessness or whatever their own internal like sentence, if you like, is, the way they've learned to deal with it is, oh, I aggrandize, I self-aggrandize myself and make my stuff out to be bigger than it is. And, and for those people, they would stand to embellish a lot less and maybe to share a little bit more of the um the stuff that's not so shiny and that's not so good mm-hmm. and the the real thing i think is the trap for that side of the equation that i see is those people they tend to share they share vulnerably but in such a way that they make the vulnerability look good too right, right. and it's like no 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 you're not doing it right <laughs> In as much as you can do vulnerability wrong, like that's not the point of it is not to make yourself look good in how vulnerable you are. Well, I, I mean, I think a few years ago I created a meme that basically said <laughs> something like um, whenever I say what I don't want you to know about me, what I really mean is I do want you to know, but I want you to love me anyway. <laughs> yes, it's so true. That's right? exactly what's going on. Right. That's exactly yes. what's going on. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. There's something um, Seth Godin calls failure porn, which I love. And he, he said, have you heard this distinction of his? It's brilliant. He's, he talks about like in the same way that porn kind of looks like love, but is actually the antithesis of it. Failure porn kind of looks like vulnerability and failure, but is actually the antithesis of it. And it's this idea that I'm hiding my fears by showing my fears and I share them in a way that looks good. And that is like, look at how I failed. And I went and asked for a free coffee and I didn't get it. Not that that's necessarily a bad practice, but you get the idea. And it's just like what that creates is you surround yourself with people that are also doing that. And it, it actually pushes you further away from the vulnerability and the connection you're creating. That's the tragedy. Yeah. Using vulnerability as a protection mechanism. Yeah, phonerability, I call it. (laughs) (laughs) Love that. So another thing as well you touched on, so I'll tell you how it looks looks for me, um, is I think there's a way for coaches. I'm just going to offer a a slightly alternative view to what you've just said for our listeners, okay? Love that. Um, So I know that... uh, that um, I've spoken, you know, to a lot of coaches and uh, entrepreneurs that 
have that thing going on where they undersell themselves. So I want to offer that um, you can, you don't have to make that actually about you. You can make it about what's possible for your clients. Like though, for me, I've gone through that stage of, you know, I, I know that uh, if I look at it from one particular angle, I sit down with people more often than not, just on a video call on a computer. We do that for a few hours and magic happens. Now, mm. it's like there's a part of me that's like, well, that's not really down to me. And it, and here's the thing, Adam. I see whilst I hear you, but if I'm uncomfortable with that, another way of looking at it is I can just make that about what I see in my clients, right? I just know I have people sitting in front of me and I'm filled with excitement and glee and just so much hope for like, well, I just know what I just know what can happen um, when we have these kind of conversations. Yes. I love that. And I love it because to some extent, do I brag more or do I brag less is all inside the same context, yeah. right? Like, oh, often it's like I'm worthless or I'm not enough or I'm whatever it is, right? And then these are the two solutions. Either I undermine myself or I over <laughs> fluff myself. And what you're offering is like, well, what if it had nothing to do with any of that? Like, what if we removed you from the picture entirely yeah. Yeah. and we just put you over there? I mean, that's I think that's the um, heart of like powerful proposals for coaches too, is to get in your heart that the money you're asking the client to put down has nothing to do with you. Yeah, yeah. So that's also a great link into another area I wanna just go with you before we close, conscious of the time mm -hmm. here. Um, so how, just can you, can you briefly tell us then um, a little bit more about building the business you have now and what that looks like, yeah. Yeah. And, and perhaps some, um, of the, some of the some of the some of the challenges along the way. Yeah, sure. So I'll do it as succinctly as I can. Um, initially, like before I'd done any of the deeper work, I was charging pretty typical, I think, rates for people starting out, which is like one hundred dollars a month for four conversations, you know, 20 to 50 dollars an hour. Um, I was in that charging by the hour mentality, yeah. which is a dangerous place for a coach because yeah, absolutely we can only conceive of paying so much for someone's time. It doesn't work beyond a certain point. And, and, and not only that, we tend to then end up having a lot of conversations about money. <laughs> yes, that's Instead right. Instead of just one. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, once I started that real deep work and they slapped me in the face, they told us, and I think this was a real gift, they said, as of today, start charging $500 a month for a minimum of three months and you coach people four times a month. So they coaching is obviously not about, it's about the freedom of, of it all, but I love that they were like, start here. And I love that it was, it was edgy. That's an edgy amount of money to charge early on. And none of us did it, but still <laughs> they put that in place. And then we got to, you know, get coached on a relationship to that figure. So that's where I started from. I, I basically began enrolling people at that rate. And I, incrementally was raising my rates up to about a point of, I think 800 or $900. I remember the first time I went from 500 to $650 and proposing it and it was terrifying. I was like, oh my God, this is so much money. There's 150 more dollars, right? For what someone says they, is the life of their dreams. Like, but you know, it, it's our stuff. Yeah. I got to $900 and then I thought, well, I wanna, be exponential. I want to, you know, I don't want to just live life incrementally. So I'm going to, I'm going to 
ultim- all, almost double it. So I moved to 1500, felt nice. And suddenly no one hired me at all. Everyone stopped hiring me. Now, $600 is a difference, but it's not a vast difference. And I was like, what the hell is going on? And so I had a lot of conversations with my coach around this. And what we started to see was that first part, my approach to creating a client was that I'd get on the phone with them and I'd coach them really brilliantly. I'm, I'm pretty brilliant. That's part of my essence too. Um, and so I'd coach with a lot of brilliance and they'd go, they'd be left with, wow, this guy is really smart and that coaching was really powerful. I don't really know what I'm going to get from it. Like, I'm not clear on what will come out of it, but like, I trust that if I spend time with this guy, stuff's going to move. But once I put my rates at $1,500, that was no longer sufficient, right? They were no longer willing to just trust that something would happen without having it clear. And so I actually had to relearn the whole part of, I actually had to learn for the first time, I think, how to enroll someone in their lives, how to have people really get present to like, holy crap, this is what I could be like. This is the person I am. This is what's available. Such an important point as well. I want to just bring that out. Like it's not about enrolling somebody in coaching. It's about enrolling them in their lives. I, I just yeah. said to somebody recently, don't let your current opinion of yourself prevent you having the future that you want. Yeah. And enrolling people in their lives is not a coaching skill. That's a life skill. Yeah. That's a leadership skill, yeah, right? Absolutely. Like, if I want people to do something with me, I have to enroll them in it. I have to help them see what's possible if we all collaborate or anyhow. So um, that was the the four steps of the prosperous coach. And there's many different ways we could lens this, but we'll use that are um, connect, invite, coach, and propose. And I find every time I raise my rates, I have to relearn that process. It's not like a straight line where you learn all four and you're done. At least for me, it's not. For me, it's, oh, I learn, like I'll raise my rates and suddenly I have no, I'm like this idiot who can't connect with people. And I have to learn like, (laughs) well, how do I connect with the CEOs in Silicon Valley? What do I need to do? How do I get into relationship with them? How do I not be a giant fucking weirdo when I'm talking to them? And then I get to the point where I'm connecting and I'm chatty with them, but nothing, no, no coaching conversations are created. And then I have to relearn, oh, how do I actually invite in a way that's inviting? And then so on and so forth. Yeah. So I'm, I find I'm always going through that cycle. Mm, beautiful. Yeah. So, you know, time has flown and, and, and this has turned out yeah. to actually be, Adam, like one of my favorite episodes, which I'm so, so happy about. Like I said at the beginning, it was my own resistance. And that's really interesting. We've touched on it a number of times here. There's stories we tell ourselves about others, you know. Um, so thank you for that. I, I, I have, I guess, two two more questions for you. So um, if you had just a 30-second, one-minute message for coaches out there that are in their first couple of years of building a practice. What might that message be? Uh, it's so easy. Find and hire a really good coach. There is nothing that people can do that is a better service to them, their clients, and the coaching profession than that. And it's I, that and then make it non-negotiable. Like make that the thing that no matter what, you work and hire, like you commit money, not a buddy coach, you commit money to working with a great coach. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't have to cost a ton of money. There's brilliant coaches at $500 a month, but like 
find and hire someone like that because committing to yourself, your practice, your clients that way will pay dividends. Yeah, beautiful. And then finally, for you personally, Adam, what's the purpose of your coaching? Great question. I always, I'm always challenged by it because I feel my purpose like really viscerally and putting it into words is less. It's one of the places where my articulation leaves me. Wish I could just be that shiny iPhone right now. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I think it's really like um, inspiration. Like I want everyone and probably most of all myself to just be so inspired with what we are and what's available. Like my worldview is that we are the universe being able to see each other. And that's fucking magnificent. And the fact that we have this moment, this fraction of a second in the grand scheme of time to be here and to create something that's that's spellbinding and it's it evokes awe in me and i just want everyone to get the gift of that inspiration and full expression yeah. beautiful very touched by that adam that's uh thank you very very glad that uh we we did this thank you so much too yeah I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation with Adam. I loved his honesty um, about how he sees himself and, of course, the humour which he uses to look at that, to look at how he sees himself. None of us enjoys taking ourselves particularly seriously and there's something in that for all of us. And I really admire Adam for all the inner work he has done in getting to know himself, allowing himself to be seen, those parts of himself that he previously wanted to hide. You know, he shows himself warts and all. What an amazing and touching honesty he shared in this conversation about being willing to share his story that brings up the most shame for him. I so love and appreciate the humanness in that. And at the end there, his message to coaches, find and hire a really good coach. There is nothing people can do that is a better service to them, their clients and the coaching profession than that. He said, make that the thing that no matter what, you do and hire a coach. You commit money to working with a great coach. And of course, there are lots of options when it comes to that. And I absolutely agree with him in this respect. I know some will say that's not required. And you know, it's it's not a requirement. But geez, in my own experience, it is the biggest enabler in helping you build a practice and the life you want. There's nothing like, I love this profession. There is nothing like being coached. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I'm so glad we managed to do it. And on that note, I'd love to hear from you, either by making direct contact or joining the Facebook Coaching Life podcast group. And if you are enjoying this podcast, please do pop along to iTunes and leave a brief, honest review. It will take you less than a minute and help other people just like you find this podcast and get an opportunity to enjoy these conversations too. Thank you once again for listening. Until next time, I wish you much love and enjoy.
Once again, if you've listened this far, I want to thank you. And as an added bonus, I want to tell you about a couple of things I've been putting together and give you an opportunity for early registration and a possible discount. Firstly, later this summer, 2018, I'm bringing together a small, intimate group of coaches who will be personally mentored by me in growing their practice. Numbers are very limited because I will be giving each member of the group significant one-on-one time with me as well as them being part of a very strong and supportive community. This is aimed at coaches who have completed some coaching training, perhaps one of the well-known schools or academies that we've all seen around, and still want to further develop and grow their practice. I'll be publishing more details about this through my usual social media channels, but if this is something that may be of interest to you, please do get in touch by emailing me directly. The address is phil at philg.com. P-H-I-L at P-H-I-L-G dot com. And secondly, in the autumn, in the UK, I'm looking at running a Coaching Life live event. It's a personal gathering in London, a weekend event based on the same principles as this podcast, peeling back the bullcrap, brushing away any photoshopping of the profession of coaching to help you see for real aspects of this beautiful profession that will help you develop as a coach and build your practice. So that's London in the autumn. It's really early days with this one, but if this also might be of interest to you, drop me an email, phil at philg.com, and I'll share further details with you as things develop. Thank you again for listening. I wish you much love, joy, and prosperity.